Section 12 of Henry II by Louis Francis Saltzman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7 The Rebellion of the Young King, Part 1. Henry had left Ireland, as we have seen, on the 17th April, 1172, and about the second week in May, he crossed from Portsmouth to Barfleur with a considerable following at least twenty-five ships accompanying him. On the 17th of May he met the cardinals at Savigny, and was informed by them of the terms offered by the Pope for his reconciliation to the Church. It would seem that these included the entire abrogation of the constitutions of Clarendon, and to this Henry absolutely declined to consent, declaring that sooner than accept these conditions he would return to Ireland the diplomatic bishop arnulf of lisieux now intervened and succeeded in effecting a compromise and on sunday twenty first may henry came to the cathedral of avranches and was absolved from the guilt of the murder of becket on the promise to comply with the modified requirements of the legates he was to find the money to support two hundred men-at-arms for one year in the holy land to go for three years on crusade to restore the property of the church of canterbury and to take back into favour all who had suffered for their support of the archbishop he was also to support the claims of alexander and his successors against the schismatics to permit appeals to the pope in ecclesiastical causes and to abolish all customs injurious to the church which had been newly introduced in his reign the wording of the last clause left matters exactly as they were at the beginning of the quarrel with becket for the whole point of the dispute was henry's contention that the constitutions were in force in the time of his grandfather the final issue of the conflict was thus decidedly in henry's favour and the murder instead of proving as it must have done in the case of a less able man disastrous had actually been beneficial the king's strength is also shown in his dealings with the four knights who had murdered the archbishop a weaker man would almost certainly have sacrificed the murderers to appease public opinion but henry admitting that they had acted on his behalf though not in accord with his intentions took no action against them possibly not sorry to let ecclesiastical claims reduce themselves to a logical absurdity by showing that the church could only deal with the ecclesiastical offence of the murder of an archbishop by the ineffective method of excommunication the young king henry was present at the ceremony at avranches and joined with his father in swearing to obey the terms imposed so far as they were not personal to the elder king but it would seem that the representatives of france and other important personages were absent and it was therefore arranged that the ceremony should be repeated at a later date at caen the absolution was duly repeated about michaelmas but whether at caen or again at avranches is not quite clear meanwhile henry had arranged for the deferred coronation of his son's wife margaret the daughter of king louis it has already been mentioned that much to her father's anger she had not been crowned with her husband but it would seem that henry had had the genuine intention of allowing her to be crowned subsequently he appears to have promised becket that he should officiate and it may have been for this purpose that margaret crossed over to england in september eleven seventy 
she remained at winchester until the third of april eleven seventy one when she crossed again to normandy and was no doubt with her husband at christmas that year when the young henry held his court at bourg le bois to which flocked the chivalry in such numbers that it is recorded that in one hall there dined together a hundred and three knights whose christian name was william in august eleven seventy two margaret and her husband went back to england and on the twenty seventh of that month they were crowned together in winchester cathedral by rotrou archbishop of rouen and the bishops of evreux and worcester their stay was not of long duration as early in november they were summoned back to normandy by the old king they obeyed unwillingly but instead of joining the english court paid a visit to king louis who seized the opportunity to urge upon the young henry that he should demand from his father the complete sovereignty of either england or normandy or at any rate something more substantial than the shadowy royalty which he had hitherto enjoyed the council fell on willing ears the prince had long smarted under his father's strict control and the surveillance of ministers who were practically his masters and he was in no mind to remain a king without a kingdom and without even a sufficient income after christmas which the young king and his queen kept at bonneville while the elder henry and eleanor were at chinon the two henrys went to montferrand and afterwards to limoges to negotiate for the marriage of john now six years old with alais daughter and heir of the powerful count hubert of maurienne lord of savoy the count undertook to make a most liberal provision for the young couple but when it came to henry's turn to fix what he would bestow upon them he named the castellanis of chinon loudon and mirabeau the young henry at once indignantly protested that these castles belonged to him as count of anjou and absolutely declined to make them over to his brother this combined with his father's action in refusing to increase either his power or his allowance and in removing from his company certain young men of bad influence roused the young king's resentment which was sedulously fanned by his mother queen eleanor the latter egged on by her uncle ralph de fay urged her son to open rebellion and afterwards persuaded his brothers richard and geoffrey to join him in opposition to their father at last on the fifth of march the young king slipped away and evading pursuit reached the court of louis the rebellion thus begun bore a formidable aspect and seemed to have every prospect of success young henry was an admirable centre for the concentration of the disaffected tall remarkably handsome and adding to his father's charm of manner an open-handed liberality which the elder henry lacked he was already earning the reputation which he established a few years later as the flower of chivalry while his apparently complete lack of solid qualities in no way detracted from his popularity in the struggle with his father he could of course count upon the assistance of king louis and though that king was singularly incompetent his resources were very considerable the more lawless english lords whose wings had been clipped by henry's anti-feudal legislation might also be counted upon and in this category were old hugh bigot earl of norfolk the other earl hugh he of chester the young earl of leicester son of the loyal justiciar who had died in eleven sixty eight earl ferrers of derby and roger mowbray 
the discontented lords whose lands lay within henry's continental domains were still more numerous and included the counts of pontieu evreux eux and melon william de tancarville chamberlain of normandy and geoffrey and guy de lusignan among those who seem to have supported the young king out of affection for him rather than out of hatred of his father were william marshall younger son of becket's adversary and one of the most brilliant knights of his time hasculf de saint hilaire robert trego and william de dive further important allies were secured by recklessly liberal promises of reward to count philip of flanders young henry promised the county of kent with the castles of dover and rochester and a thousand pounds of rent to his brother the count of boulogne the county of mortain and other lands to theobald count of blois the castle of amboise and five hundred pounds of rents from anjou and a little later when the unsatisfactory state of affairs in normandy rendered desirable a diversion in england westmoreland with carlisle and possibly also northumberland were offered to king william of scotland while to his brother david the earldom of huntington and cambridge were granted on the other hand though his continental domains were seething with discontent king henry could count upon powerful support from the english magnates the earls of cornwall surrey arundel essex northampton and salisbury could be relied upon richard strongbow of pembroke was loyal though too much engaged with affairs in ireland to be of much assistance and william of gloucester though married to the young earl of leicester's sister would be at worst neutral the best part of the baronage headed by the great justiciar richard de lucy the loyal were to be depended upon and included men of the military ability of humphrey de boone robert de stouteville william de vesky and odenel de umfraville the kings of wales david ap owine and the redoubtable rees ap griffith with their hardy warriors were also allies not to be despised the valuable support of the church was also contrary to what might have been expected strongly on the elder king's side the only conspicuous exceptions being the bishop of durham and curiously enough henry's former ardent partisan arnulf of lisieux to further strengthen his position henry now filled up the six vacant english bishoprics taking the opportunity to promote his faithful archdeacons richard of ilchester archdeacon of poitiers receiving the see of winchester geoffrey Riedel of canterbury that of ely and reynold archdeacon of salisbury that of bath robert foliot archdeacon of lincoln and brother of the bishop of london obtained hereford Jocelyn was promoted from the deanery to the bishopric of chichester and the great see of lincoln was bestowed upon the king's illegitimate son geoffrey in this manner henry showed his obedience to the papal demand that the vacant see should be filled and at the same time he obtained practical control of the episcopal bench the primacy was for a time left unfilled owing to disputes between the monks of canterbury and the bishops of the province and to other causes but in june richard prior of dover was elected by general consent and by a happy coincidence on the day of his election there arrived a letter from the pope announcing that the martyred thomas of canterbury had been enrolled among the saints thanks to his wise policy 
in encouraging the trading and mercantile communities and in protecting the small men from the oppression of the great henry had on his side the bulk of the populace and especially the citizens of london rouen and the other great towns finally he had great financial resources and it was this abundance of money that turned the scale in his favour by enabling him not only to hire large numbers of mercenaries but also to buy off many of the french nobles who were supposed to be supporting his rebellious sons as soon as it was clear that his son had fled to raise the standard of rebellion henry proceeded to gisors and set that and his other frontier castles in a state of defence while he was so doing a rumour reached the rebels that he was advancing to attack them and they at once prepared for battle the young king had not yet been knighted his father having intended that king louis should bestow the dignity upon him but feeling that it would befit his position as leader of the army he now hastily sought the honour of knighthood at the hands of his faithful comrade and instructor in the art of arms william marshall the alarm proved false henry so far from attacking retired to rouen where he spent the greater part of the next four months hunting and apparently ignoring the outbreak but really keeping a watchful eye upon events and waiting the opportunity to strike a crushing blow about the last week in june henry appears to have made a hurried visit to england going straight to northampton spending four days there and then returning at once to rouen affairs in england were calculated to give rise to some anxiety although so many castles had been thrown down or taken into the king's hand since the beginning of his reign a considerable number still remained in private hands and of these at least a score were now held for the rebels on the east coast hugh bigot held framlingham and bungay in the midlands huntington was held by david of scotland the earl of leicester had leicester Montserrat and Gruby, the Earls Ferrer, Tutbury, and Duffeld, while Chester was held for Earl Hugh. In the north, the Bishop of Durham had fortified Durham, Norham, and North Allerton, and Mowbray held Thirsk, Malzard, and Axholm. Hamo de Mosky had castles at Dunham and Ullerwood, Geoffrey de Costantin at Stockport, and Richard de Morville at Lauder and there were a number of smaller fortresses which might prove centres of danger the castles in the hands of the king and his supporters must have been at least five times as numerous and the royal officers speedily set in order those in the districts most likely to be affected the south-east exposed to the raids of flemish and french and the north where the scots were to be feared porchester southampton and winchester was strengthened as were arundel chichester and hastings in kent much money was spent on the castles of dover canterbury rochester and chillam the tower of london was of course a centre of activity at orford the outer defences were strengthened walton colchester and norwich were garrisoned so were hartford cambridge wisbeach and lincoln windsor oxford berkinghamstead wallingford kenilworth warwick worcester nottingham and the peak carried the chain of royal strongholds across the country while in the north were york bows richmond carlisle prodou appleby warwick and newcastle for the moment the chief centre of danger seemed to be leicester and it was no doubt as a result of the king's flying visit to northampton 
that operations were set on foot early in july against leicester about the time that henry returned to rouen on the twenty ninth of june count philip of flanders captured aumale probably by the connivance of its defender count william of aumale and after a more energetic resistance the castle of driancourt this last success however was neutralized by the death of philip's brother count matthew of boulogne meanwhile the french army under king louis and the young king henry was vainly besieging verneuil hugh de lacy hugh de beecham who were in command of the defence had no difficulty in repelling their attacks but after a month's siege provisions ran short in the outermost of the three bourgs into which the town was divided and the inhabitants agreed that if they were not relieved before the ninth of august they would surrender the french on their side swearing to do them no harm henry realizing that instant action was necessary advanced at once burning the earl of leicester's abandoned castle of breteuil on the way when the two armies were in sight of one another on the eighth of august louis sent envoys and obtained a truce until the next day and henry not suspecting his good faith retired to conches next day louis demanded the surrender of the bourg in accordance with the former agreement and at once treacherously set it on fire and adding cowardice to treachery fled back to france hotly pursued with great slaughter by henry the centre of action now shifted to brittany where the turbulent breton nobles had risen under ralph of fougeres and the earl of chester against them henry sent a strong force of brabantine mercenaries under william de humay who inflicted a very severe defeat on the rebels capturing ascolf de saint hilaire william patrick and others and driving the remainder of the force into the castle of dull a messenger was sent off at full gallop to henry at rouen and by an almost incredibly rapid forced march he covered the whole distance from rouen to dole over one hundred and fifty miles in two days earl hugh and ralph of fougeres seeing that resistance was hopeless surrendered on the twenty ninth of august and by this single stroke eighty persons of rank and position and a number of men of lesser estate were captured and the rebellion in brittany stamped out the time now seemed ripe for a reconciliation and on the twenty fifth of september henry met his three sons and king louis at gisors the terms offered by the king to his sons were liberal in the extreme but the french king had no wish to see peace restored and he persuaded them to reject the terms the earl of leicester also who had all arrangements made for an invasion of england did his insolent best to keep the quarrel alive we have seen that early in july preparations had been made for the siege of leicester on the twenty second of that month the town surrendered to the earl of cornwall and richard de lucy the inhabitants were allowed to withdraw to st albans and other places of refuge and the town was set on fire the castle however still held out and in september news from the north caused the siege to be raised king william of scotland having vainly offered his services to the elder henry in return for a grant of northumberland accepted the younger henry's promise of westmoreland and assembled a large army to reduce the northern counties his first move was against the castle of wark where roger de stuteville was in command 
roger obtained a truce of forty days and the scottish army passed on ravaging and burning as they went and after an ineffectual attack on william de vesky's castle of annick captured warkworth castle newcastle held for the king by roger fitz richard lord of warkworth proved too strong for the invaders and their efforts were next directed against carlisle here robert de vaux made a gallant defence and the news arriving of the advance of the english relieving force the scots retreated to roxburgh in full flight richard de lucy with the troops he had brought from leicester and humphrey de boon with a detachment of mercenary cavalry pursued them across the border and burnt berwick but news reached them that the earl of leicester had landed with a force of flemings at walton on the twenty ninth september boone at once turned southwards while lucy negotiated with the scottish king before the news of leicester's landing could reach the latter a truce was obtained to last until january and by the bishop of durham's mediation this was afterwards extended to april eleven seventy four of section twelve